Hey, dude, this dog like stinks, man. Okay, groomer, do something about it, man. you pet stylists you found the groom pod welcome to our virtual salon my name is Susie, and i'm your host i'm a mobile groomer from seattle washington and anyone who knows me will tell you i love to talk especially about my job one of my favorite people to talk to is my friend and mentor and co-star of the show miss barbara bird Oh, Susie, I'm so excited today because I am going to be talking about an old-timey ingredient that's enjoying a new research and popularity. That is fun. And we're going to talk about styling trends, which is also a fun topic. And then I'm going to have a mobile moment about tire pressure, which doesn't sound nearly as exciting as your stuff, but welcome to episode 391 of the Groom Pod, recorded on November 7th, 2023 in Snohomish, Washington and Tucson, Arizona. This podcast is brought to you by our kind sponsors, Best Shot, Show Season, Precision Sharp, and Stasco. And if you'd like to tip your podcasters, that's Barbara and I, you can go to the website, thegroompod.com, and use the donation button to send some money to Barbara to help her with her big move. Or join us on Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, Barbara, what's new is brought to you this week by Groomore, and then we'll speak about Patreon. If you haven't found Groomore, you're missing out. Groomore is an all-in-one software solution for your grooming business. Whether you are a solo mobile groomer or manage several shops, Groomore has everything you need. 24-hour online booking and forms, routing, credit card processing, reminders, Google Calendar and QuickBooks integration, and so much more. And the best customer service anywhere. Shop mobile or house call, Groomore has you covered. And they're giving us a free month. Just enter GroomPod22 in the coupon code. Barbara, we had a donation from our very loyal Erica Price. She gave us a hundred bucks. And oh, yeah, of course, I sent that to you already. Oh, shit. I, I already spent it. Yes, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> well, Thank you, Erica. There's a lot that goes into getting ready to move. It's boggling. I was sleepless in bed, not thrashing around because the dogs were on the bed and I didn't want to disturb them. But I was just groaning over my clients and who's going to groom Toro and who, who's now starting to bite. Who's going to groom this dog and who's going to groom that dog? And oh, my God. So I actually started uh, talking about it on a local chat room, Groomer Chat, so I can get some ideas of it's hard. It is. It's it's just tough. It's tough. And it's just so complicated. And yeah, and it's costly to move, no matter how you do it. As soon as I finish... um, before the end of December, when I close the shop, I'm going to start doing yard sale things, you know, somehow. And I want to do a shout out to my new bestie, groomer and support person, Miranda Riddle, because she's helping me clean. She's helping me sort. 
and you know I've got 10,000 things to sort through. Still have my full collection of conga drums and percussion. And what am I going to do to that? And how am I going to feel about that? It's so much letting go. It's so much sorting through. There's a little element of discovery because like I found a pair of glasses that I had lost two weeks after I bought them. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, that was real cool. They're pretty good ones. Here's what I can say about the drums. Let me say this about the drums. If you sell the drums, you will have the opportunity to meet a bunch of really cool drum enthusiasts that will come and buy your special drums. You'll make sure they get to good homes. You'll get to talk to people who are drummers. It should make you feel really cool and really good and really generous to rehome those and take a few. I would take a few. I've got to take at least two, maybe instead of three. Yep. I know, because you never know when that might hit me again, you know, or maybe when I'm not using my hands for grooming, I might have more hands to hold drumsticks and that kind of stuff. So there may be new friends in South Carolina that are drum people that I have yet to meet. I think so. I'm so excited. I know. My new life. We have a new sponsor. We have a new sponsor. You might have heard it in the beginning of the show when I snuck it in there. We've got Precision Sharp Sharpening and Shears on board with us. It's so exciting. These are the people who have done my sharpening for a long time, Randy and his wife, Cheryl. It's a small company and equally as lovely and wonderful as the Evolution Shears people who have been with us for like seven years, Evolution has. And they're a great company. I invite you to use them because they're very good. They do a great job of sharpening as well, but it was time for a change. And so we want to welcome Randy and Cheryl Lowe from Precision Sharp and invite you guys to check out their website where you can see their newest precise cut shear called Lynx. It's a patented design featuring a thumb ring that slides the length of the handle for perfect ergonomic placement of your thumb. Slide it and lock it into position to get your best groom on. Check it out at PrecisionSharp.com. So welcome aboard, Randy and Cheryl. I'm really happy about this because I love Randy because he loves bevel edge shears as well as convex edge. And I am a huge fan and supporter of bevel edge. The convex edge kind of took over the industry. But for grooming dog hair, there's places, especially working with thick coat, like cocker spaniels and things like that. The bevel edge is really a superior choice. Bevel edge shears are a very good choice for beginners, because you can feel the cuts more with a bevel edge shear than you can with very narrow convex edges. So you can actually feel it more with your hands, what you're doing, and you're less likely to have mistakes in your beginning scissoring. So I highly recommend 
everybody go take a look at the website. And the other thing that I love about Precision Sharp is that Randy will custom make anything to your specifications. Absolutely. I want one of those link shares. I, I want to see where my thumb wants it to be the most because I totally get that offset thumb is um, when you have the thumb ring that's a little bit shorter than the finger ring, that's called an offset thumb. And that's what inspired this new Lynx design so that you can actually set that thumb ring right where your hand wants it to be. So we are definitely at the cutting edge of ergonomic shears, having had evolution shears with us for so long and now bringing on the Lynx from Precision Sharp. It's pretty exciting. I'm happy too. So there you go. I had just had to share that. It's big news. And welcome and thank you to Evolution for being a fantastic sponsor. So I just thought I'd share with you what it's like to spend a week in the mobile. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't just a week. <laughs> this has been a trend for the last two months. So the first thing that happened to me is I got a nail in my trailer tire in the middle of the day, and I had to run and fix that. So boom, there goes the trailer tire, reschedule your day, right? The following week, I picked up a nail in my front Explorer tire, but my tires were bald, so I needed to replace them. So there was like $900 to replace those tires, just random. I knew they were going. You just have to deal with it though. So I replaced my tires. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I noticed that my engine wasn't turning over as strongly as it had been. And sometimes when I started it, my airbag light would come on and not go off. And that was telling me something was kind of funny in my electronic system somewhere. And then I sat in a parking lot and I ate my lunch and my battery died. And I had to get a jump from a stranger standing out there. This is life in a mobile with my jumper cables, waving them to have some really nice young man with his <laughs> Honda jump me and get me back going. And then, of course, it happened at the next appointment as well. So the guy had to come out and jump me there. And then I went home and I grabbed the little jump box, little starting box that we have, and I put that in the car. And then for the next 10 days, I jumped my car four or five times a day. Jump in the car, <laughs> jump in the car, jump in the car, because we couldn't find the battery for a price that we were happy with. So I just kept dragging the jump box with me and jump in the car, go to the grocery store, get a sandwich, come back out, jump the car, go to this grooming appointment, come back out, jump my car. I just was warning people ahead of time, I'm probably gonna have to jump my car, don't worry, I have the box. Just as all of that was going on with the battery, one of my two shop lights inside the trailer puked out, just rusted and crumbled. So now I only have half my lights and a battery in my car that doesn't work. And so this is what happens. You have to be able to roll with this stuff. Ah, I ended up ordering <laughs> shop lights, LED shop lights from Amazon and only to have them get lost, which is a rarity on Amazon, especially when it's supposed to come in two days, but they got lost. Then I had to wait two days before they would let me cancel it and reschedule it. And then I reordered in and I got the lights in. My husband put them in 
And then I dealt with the stupid battery problem. And now I have new lights. I have a new battery. I have new tires front and back and on the trailer. And uh, life goes on. Hopefully things will settle down now for a minute. Jeez Louise. It's just one thing after another. I have a nail in my tire. And my daughter's been sitting out in front dead in the water, dead on the tire for three, four days, and it's still flat out there. I'm going to have to call roadside assistance and uh, get them to come and change my tire. I applaud your problem solving. It gives me endorphins. I know. I just wish you lived near me. Me too. So that you could inspire me. I could just come fix your shit. <laughs> i just call you, come fix my shit, Susie. <laughs> I'd buzz over there. We'd fix it. It'd be fun. So what what'd you do this week other than not drive your car? I broke up with customers. Oh, that's so stressful. It was so hard. Susie, it's not getting any easier. And I've actually had a grown man tear up at the idea of losing me as a groomer. Which is sort of funny, but not, you know. This is a 10-year-old super fat Bichon with soft hair. So she gets uh, every six weeks, and they tip real well. They're a real nice young couple, and the husband has been bringing the dog in and picking it up. He said, oh, no, we've been with you for three years. It took me seven years to find you. Ah, <laughs> uh. And he said that when you did Babs, is the dog's name, isn't that cute? Yes. I just so identify. Babs, when you first groomed Babs, you sent my wife a picture of the finished groom, and she wept. <laughs> uh. She was so glad that somebody finally found Babs's personality in her haircut. And he showed me, he said, as a matter of fact, she just got a memory thing on uh, Facebook about one of her previous haircuts, and he showed it to me. It was just like not the Babs we know. The dog had long ears, poodle-style ears, and just a little cut in face. It wasn't be shown like at all. And um, I just felt so bad. I've got to find somebody and then do Babs just right. You need to put a little product in the top of her head because otherwise she has kind of a flat head. And I don't want someone just to do a snap on comb and give her a little cap. Because she needs a round head. Yes. Oh, well, anyway, that that was painful. That yeah. one was painful. And it caused me to break my promise. And I went and bought a bottle of red and drank it all. <laughs> I had what you call a happy hour, like one hour and then I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> New definition of happy hour. One hour of drinking one bottle of wine and then I'm to bed. Thank you. Good night.
and I felt like shit the next morning. So wow. we don't do that very often. I just couldn't bear the emotional load um, of some of these separations. It's just really hard. And that kind of like featured my week. Next week, maybe we'll have something fun and different. You got to get this done. You're going to have fun things coming up in the future in all kinds of directions. So I'm not worried, but it is going to be harder. I don't think yeah. it's going to get easier. I think it's going to get harder as the days get to the end. But yeah. when it happens, yeah. it's going to be so freeing and such a great adventure. I'm so excited to be on it with you and take our listeners on it as well. It's going to be fun to see what happens after you close your shop of 50 plus years and uh, try to go a different route with your brain. So we're going to talk about styling trends. Why did we pick that topic? It popped up on Facebook in a group. Somebody just asked the rhetorical question, do we think that the doodle craze is diminishing the demand for breed profile styling education. So is it really changing the face of pet grooming? Let's take a break and then let's talk all about this. This is a great topic and I think people will be very interested in it. Let me tell you about Best Shot's newest addition to the Ultramax Pro line. Ultramax Hair Hold is a flexible hairspray that can be layered on for a stronger hold. Ultramax Hair Hold Spray is great, but my favorite new product is called the Max, and I won't groom without it. It's a fragrance-free, ultra-concentrate conditioner and detangler. It reduces drying time and handles undercoat and tangles like magic. Just a few drops in the final rinse or spray it on and dry it in. Contact your favorite Best Shot distributor or learn more online at bestshotpet.com. Grooming success begins with Best Shot in your tub. Made from the best stuff on earth. Ready, groomers? Here comes our first appointment. What's your answer to the question? I do think that demand for styling is changing overall. However, freak out to think that diminishing the need for knowing your breed profiles because that is also a specialty. But I think that overall, it's not exactly that the doodles are changing the styles that people want. It's that doodles satisfy the style that people want. So it's people be looking for a less formal dog than the poodle. You see, and unfortunately, most of the poodle drawings, pictures, uh, especially as they're used in advertising, are showing show poodle retro clips with the waist cut out and the neck shaved. And, you know, like, it's, so it's either these retro, really kind of bizarre poodle clips that we used to do, or it's these intense um, special lamb clips and the German clip and that kind of thing. So the poodle aim to represent fancy grooming, fancy, elaborate 
stylish grooming. And people aren't into that so much. But look at the hairstyles for women and how they've changed. I can remember sleeping with rollers in my hair. I can remember getting my hair teased and into a beehive type thing. I would come down. I was going to graduate school in Phoenix, and I'd come down to Tucson and have it done. But every night I would wrap it in toilet paper and a hairnet so that I could keep my beehive. And then I would like use a hair fork and lift it all back out in the morning and go on my way, right? So the great thing, the great thing about being 83 years old is that I have this terrific view that goes way back. Do you know what I'm saying, Susie? Yes. I just love that I can I can look back. I mean, I can look back to hairstyles of the 40s, you know, be, although, I mean, that's my first decade of life. I didn't observe a whole lot. I just knew. But I mean, I remember Prell shampoo. I remember when the first conditioners were called cream rinse and they were usually pink. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but I remember very coif styles for women. And now there's even these shaggy styles, uneven. Asymmetrical. Asymmetrical. It's interesting, isn't it? It's very different. And and the other thing that's happening that is changing the hairstyling is the Asian grooming, because some people are liking that kind of more exaggerated pet styles with slim bodies and full legs and uh, haircuts that work with clothing. And then there's the whole coloring thing that's happening. So the trend is away from the breed profiles, which is how groomers used to be certified. And I think it's time to change certification so that breed profile is not the only thing that you need to get tested on. You need to get tested on informal grooming, of course, handling the dogs. The experience that I had with Babs, the Bichon's owner, is a perfect example of why I have firmly stayed with importance of being able to do breed profile grooming and doing breed profile grooming doesn't mean show groom ring ready or even groom competition but it means knowing the outstanding points of a breed what makes it look like its breed so that you can do that and and there's a always going to be in demand and when people find you as a groomer that can make their be shown look like quote she's supposed to look like you have a customer for life you have a customer that's going to tear up when you tell them that you're leaving and then i tear up and now i need to find a new groomer that will do babs like babs needs to be done and the terriers my terriers I think that once they started to show the dog shows on mainstream television, people had a bigger desire to get their home dogs to look like the dogs they saw on TV. And now with a lot of the rustic breeds coming in, 
I think people are seeing more of that, corded dogs and rustic dogs, and I think people maybe are kind of trending that direction. Plus the doodles, like you said. Yeah, it's not just the doodles. Although the doodles certainly have had an impact on our lives because they're a big groom. It's a big dog. The other thing that the doodles have done, they've challenged our ability to work with curly coat and mixed coat. For sure. We hadn't run into that before. Um, and that's the same thing with the rustic breeds, the Lagoda Romanolas, the Irish Water Spaniels, which fortunately you don't see too many of because they're a difficult groom to master. But um, yeah, who's going to groom my photo for show? I have to put it, I just put it out on Tucson Chat Groom. Who wants to learn how to do a show? Lagoda Romanola. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes with the rustic haircuts, like the the gotos and the doodles and stuff, I think people often like that look, but don't realize that there's some maintenance to actually keep that look. And then when they come to us, we have to cut all the hair off and then they don't come back to the groomer for another six months. And then the cycle starts all over again. That tests the groomer's ability to communicate with the customer, which is just another whole topic um yeah doodles uh, a set of unrealistic expectations but then poodles used to too it's just that when poodles were popular they belonged pretty much to celebrities and upper class people who didn't care so much about it costing more because it took longer doodles on the other hand belong to a wider range of people who have now spent $3,000 on a dog, and they probably don't have any more money to spend on grooming. And what do you mean I need to spend $125 a month <laughs> for grooming this dog? Nobody prepares them for that. <laughs> exactly. I, I saw an ad on Nextdoor, because I read Nextdoor because I'm a Mrs. Kravitz. You guys who are young don't know who Mrs. Kravitz was, but uh, she was the nosy neighbor of Bewitched, who was always watching what the neighbors were doing. Well, I watch what the neighbors are doing through Nextdoor, and a lady posts, I'm looking for a golden doodle for my daughter with a very small rehoming fee. And I'm Looked at that and I thought, lady, you're getting the most expensive dog to groom that there possibly could be. I mean, right up there with a standard poodle, you're going to have to have this dog groomed all the time and you're hoping to get it for free. How are you going to pay for that grooming? And why the dog being rehomed? Is it impossible to groom? <laughs> yep. Sorry, but uh, when you go potluck, you get what you get. And uh, there's a reason... People get those doodles and then can't afford their care, or they don't see them at all, and the dog becomes very untenable with his or her grooming and has to be kind of restructured to accept and enjoy a grooming. And not all dogs really want that much brushing. I do a lot of drop coats. And I remember the style when I started grooming was to have a really long chin and really long ears on like the Shih Tzus. Man, I'm glad that's done. I don't have any dogs that get done that way. I don't know if it's because I just don't do them that way or because people don't ask for that anymore. 
But I still groom the one family that did have the long, long chin and the long ears and the long tail on the fairly reasonably short body. It always looks like they're going to fall over forward. <laughs> if they stop walking, they'll just go plop right on their head. <laughs> I'm grateful for some of the changes that we've had. Yeah. And I'm going to confess that my mother and I raised and showed Optos in full coat. The only other thing than a full coat with the Laza Opto was when it was clipped down. One of the other big styling trends through the years that has been a very positive one for me is losing the bell head on the Bichon. Oh, yeah. Wow. The gigantic bell head was in when I first started to groom. And, and then I don't know who it was that started rounding up those corners. Uh, it was a poodle handler. I used to have to compete against him. And he designed a new trim for the Bichon. Yeah, I was glad to lose that. And that bell head kind of hung in there for an extra long time, as far as I was concerned. That's how the guy who taught me how to groom, that's how he would do Bichon's was a bell head. And um, I was real happy to see that go. I thought it was kind of ugly. But uh whole time that I had lots of options and I had them for, oh, at least... 15 years or so, I never thought some kind of a shortcut. It was either the full groom or they had to be shaved down. And there was nothing in between. And now you never see, I know I haven't for years seen a full Shih Tzu, Havanese, or Laza Apso uh, in a full coat as a pet. So that's, that's kind of funny. Um, yeah, things change, and doodles are a huge change, and I think that informal and cute. The uh, Asian grooms are popular because they're cute. They make the dog cute. Actually, I think that cute is one of my strong points in grooming. I just know how to look at a dog and pull out its personality in the haircut that I do. That's artistic. And I didn't know I had It's that. your thing. I didn't know that I had that artistic ability because I can't draw. You know who can draw? Lindsay Dickens of the Droom team many times. Um, I, I knew she was going to be a great groomer because she could draw. And if you can draw, you can groom. And the thing of it is, if you can't draw... You have a chance. <laughs> you can still groom well. And I mine is not so much from being perfect, but it's knowing how to make the dog look like the groom profile without it being an agonizing uh, show groom and taking a, a mixed breed and finding the cuteness factor and emphasizing it through my styling. Even I have done more informal grooming as I went into my 40th and 50th year grooming. I think sometimes the equipment influences the, the styles as well. For instance, we didn't used to have the proliferation of blenders, thinners, and chunkers that we have today. 
and using them to finish dogs and making it look a little less stuffed animal-like and a little more actual movement-like, I think that has also changed the way we groom dogs at home. For home, not at home. (laughs) Or at their home. (laughs) Yeah, so that and clipper vax with the comb cuts and the metal combs. I think they've changed the way we cut hair too. Snap on combs. Do you know, I learned to groom with eight straight ears. I didn't even know curved shears existed until I got out on my own. Straight edge shears and no snap-on combs. That was just considered cheap or something, you know, like cheating and cheap look. But I groom almost everything now with a snap-on comb. And you do almost everything with clipper back, which is a similar time-saving thing. I mean, and I do Babs. Babs is a bichon that looks like a bichon. It's a snap-on comb with a smaller size bichon head. I'll find somebody to do Babs. It'll work out. It'll all work out. My terrier grooms are another thing. Who's going to groom my water flex terriers? Breed profiles will always have a place in our industry. We just have to learn to broaden, and sometimes broadening your perspective is to learn breed profiles. And what studying breed profiles, a secondary uh, effect is that it teaches you about dog anatomy, how dogs are put together so that your grooming is more consistent with the anatomy of the dog. You know, back in the early 1900s, there was no consideration of the anatomy of the dog. They were either like these shaggy sheepdog sort of grooms, or they were these like really horrendously cut into weird poodle patterns. I bought best of world groom seminar thing for 99 bucks from Barkley that's online. I'm watching all that. Yesterday I watched Victor Rosado Uh do his invisible grooming and he groomed a model dog with the picture of a skeleton as reference and showed on the model dog with the skeleton right there how he adjusted his groom for the skeleton. It was fascinating. It was so interesting. I didn't love the whole thing, but I really loved that part of it. It was really good to see the skeleton right in front of the little poodle model dog looking exactly the same and watching him shape the body. And he did it and then he put the skeleton up. He wasn't like he did it with the skeleton there. He shaped it and then showed the skeleton. And by he golly, had the skeleton in his mind. You know, it, I think it's easier to do rear end angulation than it is to do front end angulation. And uh, I bet he nailed that. He did some neat tricks. He also did a lot with his blenders and thinners and chunkers, although he called everything blenders, which is fine, whatever. It's all the same thing. That's the generic term. Right. He talked about a technique with the blenders where he pulls through the hair after he cuts it. It's sliding. They call it sliding, and some blenders are built for it and some aren't. It was kind of interesting to watch that part. And he also talked about the difference between blenders and thinners, the double-edged two-sided teeth ones and the single-sided teeth ones and using those. And it was a different perspective. Plus, I got 
a bunch of, I watched Olga's Asian styling thing. I got to watch it and it was fun to watch when she goes start to finish and she had a dog that behaved really well. And then I'm watching Mackenzie Murphy's dog heads where she's got a bunch of different dogs she brings in and she does the heads. And so for 99 bucks, I'm getting a great bang for my buck out of this online (laughs) stuff because I can watch it whenever I feel like it. Yeah. Hey, let's take a break and move on to our mobile moment. Sometimes my clients don't like a walking air freshener. When these crazy people request a scent-free option, I go right to show season. Show season true tearless shampoo and hypo conditioner fit the bill. They are totally fragrance-free and yet hold up on their own as good products. True Tearless has been expertly formulated to be gentle to the eyes, skin, and hair while maintaining good cleaning power. Hypo conditioner is a great option as well, and it's one of our favorite conditioners with or without fragrance. So let's get fragrance-free. Use True Tearless and Hypo Conditioner from Show Season today. Go to showseasongrooming.com. Look out. Here it comes. It's your mobile moment. Tire pressure. We were talking about flats. I've had my own share of flats. You've got a flat right now. But I wanted to talk a little bit about tire pressure. And I'm going to do it fast. It's going to be brief. It's a mobile moment, after all. It is just a moment. So let me plow through this, then we can move on to Barbara's classroom. But I think this is important knowledge. Why is it important, you might ask? It's important for a bunch of different reasons. Fuel economy, safe handling, tire wear, And all of this is exaggerated in our huge mobile vehicles, especially the big vans and some of the trucks that people are driving. Tire pressure is so important. So do you know how to check your tire pressure? Yeah. You have a little tire pressure gauge. Do you carry one? Yeah, I have one somewhere in my car. Oh, good. I also have that air compressor gun, which gives you exactly .00, you know? Yes, that's perfect. There's all kinds of different tire pressure gauges, and there are some that are better than others. Sometimes I use the one at the gas station that's attached to the air hose, but oftentimes we're doing my air at home because we have a big compressor here. But I carry a little gauge. The best ones screw on to the stem. They screw on. The other ones, the ones that you just press into the stem are not quite as good because if you wiggle, it kind of gives a misreading. But the ones that screw in are really good. Some of them have a little release button that'll let out the air if you put too much air in there. And that's kind of handy. But for me, the most important thing is I need the gauge to be big enough for me to read it because some of the gauges (laughs) on those tire pressure things are just awful. And here's another thing that people don't always think about. You need to check your tire pressure when your tires are cold. So not after you've been driving all the way to the gas station, you go, oh, look, darn it, I think I got a low tire. That's not the right time to check your tire pressure. You want to do it when the tires are cold because there can be quite a variance. So that means before you drive, not after or during when you're driving. In the shade, not necessarily in the sun. And I was thinking about you. That must be really annoying to have to try to guess how much extra pressure is in there because it's 110 degrees out. (laughs) Yuck. Because the pressure can change by 7 to 10 PSI in the heat or the cold. So it's important to do that. Many of us still have an actual spare in our grooming rigs because they're big rigs. 
check the tire pressure on your spare occasionally. It's probably a good idea to do that. Well, that's what I have to do before I call roadside assistance because I I need him to put my spare on this Toyota. And if it doesn't have any air, I'll be very embarrassed. So I'm going to go out there, use my little gun. It's easy for me to say this, but to actually do it, oh, God, I just have a hard time doing anything. It requires bending over, which never makes me excited for you. How do you tell how much air to go in your tire? If you've got a new vehicle, well, there's a recommended tire pressure. In the manual. It's in the manual. It's also somewhere in your door jam of your door, driver's door usually, or on the the side of the car or on the door in that area. Also, it can be in your glove box. Like they used to put them in the glove box. I think that's less common now. How do you know how much air you check those numbers? But if you've replaced your tires, those numbers aren't accurate anymore. When you get a car, I don't buy new cars. So my cars always have some replacement tires on there. So I actually have to physically look on the tire to see the recommended tire pressure. The hitches on the tire, it tells you the maximum pressure. Yeah. You don't want to put the maximum pressure in your tire. You want to go somewhat under that. So keep that in mind as well. And how do you tell when you need air in general, other than checking with the gauge? Do a visual inspection. Walk around your vehicle at least once a week and take the time to look. I'm sure I did. I said, boy, that tire's getting low. And a week went by and another week went by. And then the next thing I know, it's like, boy, that's really low. (laughs) And here we are today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, folks, that's going to wrap up this mobile minute. Check your tire pressure. Do like we say, not like we do. Um, In Barbara's case, anyway. In my case, do as Susie says. That's right. Get a good tire pressure gauge, visually inspect them, check your spare occasionally, and top off your tires because it will give you better gas mileage, better handling, and it's just a smart thing to do. Well, that was fun. I might do one of those more often. Did you know that Stasco has come out with a couple of new products? First, there's the Stasco Oatmeal Protein Conditioner. This conditioner provides exceptional body and manageability and super shiny finishes. And it has a wonderful apple scent that I love. Great in the recirculator too. And they have a new matching protein conditioning spray, dematting, anti-static conditioning, and finishing all in one, just like the original Stasco spray, but with that delicious apple fragrance. Look for these new products at trade shows and your favorite distributors like Cascade Grooming Supplies. I actually went into Cascade this week and bought my holiday shampoos, and the assortment wasn't great. Show season hadn't sent enough of their cookie shampoo or the other stuff that they have. So I didn't have a great assortment. I did pick up some show season cinnamon cologne that I really like. And then I also bought a gallon of the Stasco oatmeal protein shampoo because it smells like apples. And I figure apples is a really good holiday scent. So I did do that. Rumors, take your seats. It's time for Bee Bird's Classroom. So, all right. What is an old-timey ingredient that was very, very popular, that fell out of popularity and has now enjoyed 
a resurgence of usage and popularity due to the natural movement. That sounds, sort of sounds like a laxative ad, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, phenomena going on in our industry. So it's none other than the essential element, sulfur. Sulfur, okay. Sulfur has a long history of medical medicinal use. It was very popular in the 1700s and 1800s and into the 1900s. That long ago? Yeah. Wow. For the longest time, it was like the only ingredient or only substance that you could count on to have an antifungal, antibacterial, and carolytic activity. It was the original dandruff shampoo for people. And it was used widely on the farm because it has a lot of usage for agriculture. Um, the truth is that the essential element of sulfur is one of the fundamental macronutrients of nature. So it's vital to the earth, the soil, the other elements that are macronutrients are nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Sulfur has a key role in agricultural and crop development. It's kind of like a fertilizer, and it's also mites and mildew and unwanted guests in your crop. And it's had a long, long time of uh, agricultural use, and that never really faded. But the use for personal care faded because sulfur has an unfortunate, horrible smell. It sure does. Yeah, wow. it has a bad odor problem. It smells like rotten eggs. So <laughs> when you use it, you kind of have to get over that. But hey, it's natural. So guess what? It's back in popularity. There are dozens and dozens of sulfur-related skin care tips for pets, itch products for pets. And sarcoptic mange products for pets. Uh, there's lots of stuff out there that's selling well today, again, because people prefer something more associated with nature than the insecticidal products that are uh, now falling out of popularity. Again, the properties of sulfur, it's a degreaser. You know, it's good for seborrheic situations. It's used in people uh, for acne. It dries up acne. And it's also a miticide. So it's very popular for mic-related pet problems like sarcoptic mange, any kind of mange, bed bugs. Um, that kind of stuff is also good for reducing inflammation and absorbing excess oil. Davis Company has a sulfur and benzoyl peroxide 
shampoo uh, that combines those two things. The benzoyl peroxide opens up the hair follicle and the sulfur kills any mites that are in there. So it's very popular as veterinary brand medicated shampoo. Two drawbacks to sulfur. One is the bad odor, which can be somewhat managed in formulating. I mean, a sulfur dip is usually pretty much just a sulfur product, 95%. But creams and lotions and shampoos have maybe 2% or up to 10% of sulfur. The drying tendency of sulfur can be mitigated by formulating with moisturizing ingredients such as glycerin or polyethylene glycol, aloe, those kind of soothing uh, oatmeal. You can find that in there. So there are several forms of sulfur that we find in pet products. Colloidal sulfur was kind of the original, and it's usually just a shampoo with added sulfur powder, ground up sulfur, and it's colloidal. It can settle in the bottom, kind of like colloidal oatmeal can kind of settle in the bottom of a bottle, so they you always have a shake well before use thing going on on the label. Micronized sulfur is a more recent development, and it's um, been made ultra-fine microns of size, which really enters the skin and it enters the plant surface. It's really ideal for agriculture as well as for skin care. The smaller the particles, the more they're going to absorb into the stratum corneum, the outside of the skin, and do its thing. When you're using a sulfur shampoo, then do you have to let it sit? Yeah, you do have to let it sit, like 10 or 15 minutes, actually. It's not an instant acting. And they they have, like, sulfur found in shampoos. And, like, here, I have one right here. And how long do we wet coat, massage in shampoo thoroughly to saturate the skin? Allow to remain on pet 10 to 15 minutes. Rinse well. Okay. Now, when you use the sulfur dips, you don't rinse well. You leave that on. The other feature of sulfur is that it's yellow. So it can temporarily kind of turn your white Maltese into a blondie. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so, Good to know. So, that information could save you. Lime sulfur is another form of sulfur that you find in pet products. Lime sulfur is also known as sulfurated lime. And this is lime as in caustic lime, not lime as in green citrus fruit. Lime as in the mineral. Lime as in the mineral. You know, when I saw lime sulfur, I thought, oh, good. They're mitigating the odor by using a strong citrus. But that's not, <laughs> but that's not it. The sulfurated lime are known as lime sulfur, not sulfur and lime. Lime sulfur is uh, believed to be the earliest synthetic chemical as a pesticide. So it's used in the 1840s in France 
They had a terrible uh, explosion of agricultural mildew and the wine crops. And you know, it was introduced by the United States. Somehow this mildew traveled to France and then took over probably because it was never there. It didn't have a natural enemy of any kind. So it just like reduced wine production by 80%. Can you imagine a country losing 80% of one of its uh, major exports? Wow. That would be harsh. So that was a big deal. So they used lime sulfur reacting calcium hydroxide with elemental sulfur, and then you get calcium polysulfide. And that's a source of sulfur that's used in tick dips, flea dips. It's antifungal people. That's it's important to know is that it is terrific, very highly rated for fungal infections. Like it comes in a cream that you can put on the dog's paws. You don't want them to lick it, but you can put it on the paws and you can do the lime sulfur dip. You can have a lime shampoo thing. There are a couple of things that I have hesitations about. You want to hear them, Susie? Yes. Okay, so is often teamed up with other similar acting ingredients like salicylic acid, which that's okay. That's found in a lot of kind of dandruff shampoos and skincare things, but also coal tar. Oh, that's bad. Coal tar is one of the few ingredients that I would actually call a bad ingredient. Would you call it a nasty? Because I would call it a it nasty. It is a nasty. Yeah. I mean, and it's bad enough that sulfur is nasty smelling, but then to add nasty coal tar to it, I have some reservations about that. In a short-term use, might be okay, but you would not want to use a coal tar solution of anything on a regular extended basis because it's been shown to cause cancer okay period so you know you might want to check that out i have a shampoo here called veterinary formula care and it has two percent salicylic acid one percent micronized sulfur and half a percent of coal tar and it is not a nasty shampoo it's actually a pretty good anti-parasitic shampoo, kind of six of one and half a dozen of another. Do you want to use a, a pyrethrin flea and tick shampoo, or do you want to use a coal tar and sulfur shampoo? I lean towards the sulfur product, but I would try something that doesn't have the coal tar if you can find it, okay? How's that? Yeah, that sounds good. Just one final thing. My other uh, misgiving is that it it's really antibacterial. So it's going to kill off friendly bacteria as well as unfriendly bacteria in the skin's microme. You want to be aware of that and use a, you might want to use a conditioner like I groom prebiotic conditioner after you use something that really kills off 
the friendly bacteria of the skin. Right? All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up this week on the Groom Pod. We are so glad you stayed with us. Welcome to Precision Sharp. And hopefully we'll have a long and happy relationship with them, just like we did with Evolution Cheers. And, well, tune in next week to have some more fun with us. Happy grooming, everybody. See you next week on the Groom Pod. Bye now. And take care of yourselves. Don't let your heart rate go up, okay? Ha, <laughs> ha.